The Fabulous 413 podcast is funded by Northeast Solar, homegrown in Hatfield, Massachusetts, and providing energy savings for their customers for over 10 years. Learn more at northeast-solar.com. Welcome to the Fabulous 413. I'm Khalees Smith. And I'm Monty Belmonte. Later in the show, Live Music Friday with singer-songwriter Sean Rao, who's playing at the Parlor Room later tonight in Northampton. But in addition to being a fantastic musician, we're going to have him tell us what's good to eat in the woods because he's also an amazing forager and naturalist. And we'll enter the Tina Turner Wine Thunderdome at Table and Vine in West Springfield to hang out with Table and Vine Ambassador Michael Quinlan as we dig into Appalachians and what they mean in the glass. But first, it's the sweetest season here in New England. Maple sugar, sugar season. How did you want your egg? Over easy. And one a, over easy. One over easy, and of course, one fertilized. One dark, robust maple syrup yes. gallon. Yeah. No. <laughs> Can I have one buckwheat pancake and a side of bacon and home fries? Sounds great. All right, I'll get there at M3. I can take the menus right away. Nice. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah. I'll get back with the coffee, too. Thank you so much. It's opening day at the North Hadley Sugar Shack, and it's time for Local Hero Spotlight. We're here with Phil Corman from CISA, the Local Hero folks, and Joe Boisvert from North Hadley Sugar Shack. How's opening day going so far? Uh, so far, it's amazing. Um, we're really excited. The people are coming out, and uh, we're lo- really looking forward to a great season. And you'll be open all this weekend, right? Yeah, that's correct. Uh, Friday, Saturday, and Sundays through April 7th. So is the sap already running? Um, the trees are producing sap right now. We have guys out in the woods working, but we haven't harvested enough yet to start the evaporators. Mm-hmm. So within the next you know, two to three days, we should be up and boiling and, and hoping for a great season. Phil, you do some backyard sugaring too, don't you? Um, it's so embarrassing when you're next to professionals and you, <laughs> you admit, yes, I produce upwards of three gallons. <laughs> but I know that's how you started, Joe, as a kid, right? Yeah, that's exactly correct. Yeah, we started in our parents' backyard. Um, I think I was seven or eight. My brother was nine or ten two-year difference there and we tapped the few trees and you know boiled all the branches that were falling off the trees in the yard and whatever we could to you know make the maple syrup and it's a very addictive thing we do sugaring i'm gonna leave it at that (laughs) that sounds seedy (laughs) wonderful but seedy the tree blood that we boil well i often think of it as like a fever that you catch right before the season you're like oh am i really gonna do this it's cold you gotta drill it in everything you learn do you remember because you're doing it once a year and then you start and it's like oh yeah this is what i'm excited to do when i wake up in the morning So how did it transition from being something you and your family did in the backyard to this, which is kind of like now an institution of maple sugaring? It's a giant complex, especially because it's not just the sugar shack. It's got the market next door, and then there are things that happen in other parts of the years. Yeah. Like I said, it's it's very addictive. So we start off with a couple buckets, and the following year we're like, you know, we can handle a few more, and next thing you know... 25, 30 years later goes by and and you just keep expanding and putting money back into the economy and growing your business, you know what I mean? And here we are today and uh, it's just wonderful because it's a tradition and an experience for the people that have never sugared to come out here and, you know, work with us or see us side by side or be right up next to the evaporators and trying the, the fresh product that we produce. Do people ever come and get to see you tap? 
So the tapping process, yes, if they hit it just right when we are setting the taps, because we only tap the trees once a year. So we drill a small hole about an inch and a half into the outer layer of the trees, put the spouts, hang the buckets, wear the pipeline, whatever we're you know running. Um, once the taps are set, they stay in for the duration of the season. So some people do hit it when we're tapping just right, but most of the time it's a visit to see the sap dripping out into the buckets on those nice warm days after a cold freeze you know, during the maple season. So you went from tapping a couple trees in your backyard. How many trees is the North Hadley Sugar Shack tapping now? Yeah, we've got right around 5,000 um, taps that we set. That's it? That's you know? a little under what I was going to estimate. <laughs> I thought you were going to say six. <laughs> you know, so it works out pretty good for our size operation, for our evaporators and what we can handle. That, that number is absolutely perfect. It's a wonderful time. It's a unique experience and... Uh, it's actually the first, you know, agricultural crop in the Commonwealth, you know what I'm saying, when the trees are waking up and the sap's flowing. How many sugar shacks are now actually still open? Because we've lost some over the years as people aged out of it. You know, I, I can't answer exactly how many. Um, some have dwindled away as sugar producers, you know, have gotten older. But there's a lot of backyard um, producers in, you know, Western Mass area and Eastern Mass. Um, but there's only probably a handful of us that are open for the traditional breakfast and the hands-on agritainment, as I would call it, uh -huh. <laughs> um, you know, to see what is going on at the Maple Sugar Farm. So I, I can't really answer the exact numbers, but uh, I wish it was more, in my opinion, because it's a very, very fun and unique product we produce traditionally. It feels very New Englandy to know that the sugar shacks are open and you can go get pancakes, that it's only for a certain amount of time, and then, you know, you wait for the next agricultural season to come in for whatever's next. So I think I've been coming about 30 years, Joe, but you totally renovated this space in the last five years through COVID. It is so beautiful. Can you share how you pulled that off? Well, you're right. Um, when you said 30 years, we're, at, we're on 29 this season. Yeah. So, so right there, you just about hit the nail on the head. But as we've grown, we've also modernized some of our maple equipment, um, understand more of you know the food safety part of what we're producing and allowing the general public to come in in a safe manner to smell that sap being boiled down into syrup, to have fresh samples in a way where it's safe in today's you know technology world. We know that Phil makes a whopping three gallons of maple syrup in his backyard. In a good year. I know that the math works out to something like 40 gallons of sap to each gallon of maple syrup. You've got 5,000 taps going. About how many, in a good year, gallons of maple syrup will the North Hadley Sugar Shack produce? So we annually produce around 2,000 to 2,200 gallons of finished syrup is what we strive to produce. Now, of course, that's totally up to Mother Nature, and that's the problem with this liquid gold that we produce. You know what I mean? It's nothing that we can do for a better or a worse year, obviously. Plus, you're also using reverse osmosis machines to make your sap as opposed to like more traditional machines which is pretty cool they're just real fancy looking can you explain what reverse osmosis is to the people that might not have heard of this modern method of making maple syrup all right so reverse osmosis is like a monstrous water filtration system so basically the sap through special pumps is forced through membranes and sugar molecules are slightly larger than water molecules so therefore it is producing us pure water which is our enemy so the pure water goes one direction and it leaves behind sweeter sap. So an average tree produces about a 2% natural sugar content. Therefore, we're making up to 10 to 15% concentrate through the reverse osmosis, which saves boiling time 60 to 70% and about the same amount in our fuel costs or wood consumption. 
That's amazing. It is. That's a huge, huge percentage. Gardeners know that climate has changed over the last 25 years as we see what we can plant and grow, but you also know that too by when you're putting in taps and how long the season goes and when it begins. Also by the fact that like we're you're opening and it's February 9th and only in the past couple of years have I started thinking about maple in February. Yeah, that's correct. It's traditionally been the month of March and in the first week or two sometimes of April, but yes, the weather has changed and is changing and we're finding ourselves having to adapt to the climate change and be ready earlier if the weather does break to get these sap runs. Even if they're sporadic, we need to be ready so that we can still be a profitable entity making maple syrup here in Western Massachusetts. So when you started, about when would you be tapping trees and you're tapping trees right now, February 9th and maybe even a little earlier, right? Yeah, that's correct. So when I was younger, um, I remember the earliest was the first week of March and I, I have some records of the 10th and 14th of March before we even set any taps. So in your lifetime, it's changed by a month and a half. That is correct, yes. And that is really scary when you think about it. Yes. But <laughs> very, very. <laughs> It, it is, but we have to adjust to it, and that's what we are doing. It's no different than the new generation of people visiting our sugar houses. They want things a little different, so we're trying to adapt. My kids said, Dad, Mom, we have to have Wi-Fi in here. I said, what is Wi-Fi? You know what I'm saying? Like, why do we have to have it? Because that's what people want. They want to get on their phones while they're waiting for pancakes and stuff. So we're learning because we have kids that are in that generation, which is great because if we were stuck in our really, really old-fashioned ways, we wouldn't be where we were today. We're speaking with Joe Boysford on opening day of the North Hadley Sugar Shack, tapping 5,000 trees in and around here. Joe, can you explain a little bit about how the technology has changed using tubing and how that helps you as a sugar maker? Yeah, so most of our taps that we set now is on tubing or what's called pipeline uh, runs, which is a mountainside of sugar maples. All the trees are plumbed together like a network of tubing and the sap flows downhill into massive collection tanks. We also now use a vacuum system. What that does is it, it helps the sap flow through the tubing. When mother nature and the barometric pressure is not ideal for a sap run, we are still getting sap runs. When we tap the trees with a normal traditional spout in a bucket, some days we have great runs, other days we don't, and that has to do with the barometric pressure. But the pipeline systems with today's new technology and brand new spouts going in the trees every year so we have no bacteria problems, we are seeing a more consistent average run, which is helping us keep our total productions at our average, even on the roller coaster weather patterns we're seeing. Ideal weather for sap and for uh, sugaring is, what is it, 40s in the day and then colder at night? That is absolutely correct. We have to go below freezing at night and we want to warm up rapidly in the morning so that the sap's running by 8.30, 9 o'clock, um, no wind and sunshine. So with this new technology, is that no longer a factor or is that still gonna make for a better run? It still helps for a better run, but on the days when, let's say it's 38, 37 and no sun, we're still getting an okay run where our buckets and the traditional method of doing it sometimes won't give you much at all. Mm -hmm. Can you share a little bit about the farm store and when you opened it and what you carry? Because it's amazing. Yeah, so we're going on our 29th season here in our sugar shack where we boil the sap and make the syrup and do our traditional pancake breakfast. As we grew our business, we realized that people said, hey, you know, we'd like to get your products not just during maple sugar and season. So we realized and we built the North Hadley Market, which is connected to the North Hadley Sugar Shack. And now 
now we're open seven days a week where you can get our maple syrup, our maple products, the maple candy, the cream. Um, we do a lot of baked goods, the pies from the fresh fruits and vegetables off the farm. We sell the produce. We do now expand it. We've expanded into a Boar's Head Deli and a lot of local jams and jellies and, and items that we can't produce, but there's great people right around us that can produce these wonderful products that don't have a storefront like us who so are able to bring their products in here. And it's a win-win for all of us. That's what we call a local food economy. You've also mentioned agrotainment. Can you tell us a little yes, bit about what? Yes, I heard that you have goats at some point. Oh, <laughs> tell us about your agrotainment, Joe Boysbert. So yes, the agrotainment, like we call it, it's kind of a slang way of saying, you know what I'm saying? We want to get the folks into the farm, show them what we're doing here, give them a little excitement while we try to separate them from their wallet a little bit and explain to them, <laughs> explain to them how hard we work so they can see our products and really have a hands-on and hopefully they have a better sense of why local products cost a little bit more than the big chain stores because there's a family behind it that you can actually talk to and realize how hard they work to produce what we do and what we offer. I know in my time of maple syrup consumption, the grading system has changed and I used to love grade B. B. I'm way back to the grade C day. Oh, wow. Oh, no. I don't even know there was a grade C, but grade B used to be more mapley when the grade A that's more highly sought after was more sugary. What's your favorite type of maple syrup when it's coming out of the tree? I like the darker syrup or what you want to call the old terminology of the grade B, which is now dark robust. I love the darker syrup because it, it, it is more pronounced in the maple flavor. And, and honestly, let's be real, I'm a maple junkie. There's no other way to say it. You know what I mean? This is no maple syrup Thunderdome. We are unanimous here in grade B, dark amber maple leaf flavored maple which syrup. Which we may, may never, there's been articles about how we may never really have it ever again. Are we never going to get grade B again? or? Believe it or not, the answer is you're wrong. The okay, grade great. B is in the dark robust category now of the new grading system. And the reason why the USDA, the Federation of Canada, did away with the terminology grade B is because everybody presumed it as a lower, lesser quality syrup. In all honesty, it costs more money to produce grade B syrup than it does the grade A, the light, the amber, because it takes more gallons to one ratio. And people started realizing it was more sought after than the real golden, you know, syrup. Some of our golden syrup is so light, you could read a newspaper through a joke. <laughs> Can you say anything about the Canadian cartel? Canadian cartel. Well, listen, there's an awful lot of maple syrup produced in Canada. They hang on to it to make sure if there were to be a bad year, that there's still enough maple syrup to go around for everybody. And, you know, we're all in this together. That's how I look at it. We all produce a pure product from the trees, but there's just nothing like local Massachusetts maple syrup. I agree. Theirs comes in cans and it's weird. Well, let's dig in. What do you think, everybody? Phil, you had some pancakes. Police, you had pancakes and bacon. I had waffle because I feel like waffle is a better waffle, vehicle for storage of maple a syrup. Vehicle for just storing pure cups of yeah. maple syrup. I just made little holes of maple syrup. But in they my, and then, had buckwheat pancakes. I'm not gonna say no to buckwheat pancakes. Yeah. You know the buckwheats were great, and that's what I had, and they just so nicely absorb the maple syrup. Oh, it yeah, becomes one with what you want to eat. Waffles are more of a maple syrup delivery method. The waffle is extraneous. It's an I mean, edible container yeah you could just drink it and that would be fine. i did that too i mean yeah <laughs> won't you drip on that sugar shack Later in the show, the beautifully buttery baritone of Sean Rao for Live Music Friday as he makes his way to Northampton to play the parlor room tonight but up next two wines enter 
One Appalachian leaves in the Tina Turner Memorial Wine Thunderdome at Table and Vine in West Springfield. You're listening to The Fabulous 413 on 88.5 NEPM. Twenty-five percent of the time, my brain is ruminating about Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. You're Kung, Fu movies, Kung, Kung, Kung Fu movies, Kung Fu movies, The Muppets, <laughs> Twin Peaks. Welcome to my scary inner world. Oh my God! What, what if there was there? a that whole thing where like recast a TV show or a, a movie with like the Muppets and you get to keep one human? What would it be for Twin Peaks? I would want to see Muppet Twin Peaks. Yeah. That would be amazing. You gotta leave Kyle McLaughlin, and then everybody else is a Muppet. Diane, 11.30 a.m., February 24th. Yes, Kimmy? Entering the town of Twin Peaks. Animal is Bob. Animal! That's his name, actually. It just dawned on me that this is our last wine Thunderdome before Valentine's Day, if Valentine's Day is something that anybody Valentine's cares Day is about. stupid. I think it's stupid, too, but... Some people like it. I love it. Yeah, see, some people like it. That's fine. It's but a... also, like, you can just show love every day and have every day be Valentine's Day. But... Just like every month is Black History Month and every month is Women's History Month. Like, it's just another day, and now we have to spend extra money to go and, like, be amongst other people showing love. Just show love. I agree. But it can be a nice reminder for some people, although I do not participate in Valentine's Day. Not at all? At all. No. And my wife doesn't either. And that works out great. Same for me and my partner. We both sort of like, nah. Yeah, you can't, well, you, it can't be a one person does and one person doesn't well, in a relationship. I, mean, I feel like. It's true. Someone's going to feel misunderstood. Right. and In reality, I will probably hastily throw something together on February 13th or early on the 14th. If you do it on the 13th, you're way ahead of the game. Nevertheless, we don't need a holiday to drink either. And we are here in the Wine Thunderdome at Table and Vine, West Springfield with Table and Vine Ambassador. Michael Quinlan. And what are we drinking today? Well, I thought we would taste two French wines, one that has an appellation that's prominent and one that is just a Vin de France, which is the lowest level of appellation. An appellation is basically, it's this whole concept, of, it's regulated by the government that every place makes wines a certain way, right? Certain grapes are allowed, certain rules must be followed, and it's basically consumer protection, right? It's like if you see a wine that says, like this one does, Bordeaux on it, you know it has to be made from the five grapes that are permitted in Bordeaux. It has to be made following certain regimen and uh, adhering to certain standards. And that's a, like a consumer protection thing, right? So you know that because you're taught it in school. When you're in France. When you're in France. Yeah, when you dr or drink wine and are French, you might not even know what the grapes of Bordeaux are. You just call it Bordeaux and you... You know. That's right. We here in this country are grape obsessed. We want to know what grape is in this wine. And that's why so often I think like customers come in and they're like, oh, I want to get a uh, like an Italian Cabernet. And we're like, eh, like we have a couple, but that's not a stronghold for Italy, right? Because Italy's Sangiovese, Nebbiolo, these, these other tremendous indigenous varieties to the regions. And Cabernet and Merlot really come from France. Of course, we grow a lot of it in America, too. Yeah. I was bartending at the Shea one time and a person who I could tell that I disagreed with politically because of what they were wearing, said, I want a California Bordeaux. And I was like, there is no such thing. And he's like, <laughs> yeah, there is. And I'm like, nope, I beg to differ. There are grapes that they grow in Bordeaux that you can get from California. Is that what you mean? That's why I'm not in customer service. I hide behind a microphone in a tiny studio and only have invited guests come by. I only come out to drink wine in the Thunderdome. Yeah, right. Which isn't to say that like regions in the U.S. and other places aren't being recognized and protected, but like it's not in the same way or manner 
that it's done in France. Yeah, we have our AVAs, but we're a lot more loosey-goosey, right? American Viticultural Associations, is that what it is? Area? Area. Area. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not like the grapes aren't protected in that same way. It's just the area. It's more about it's more about the place. Yeah. And in certain places, I think there are standards around certain grape varieties, but it's not as strict as the French because basically in America we can grow anything wherever we want. And over there, if you grew Pinot Noir in Bordeaux, you couldn't call it Bordeaux. What's the first wine we're drinking so, here? The Bordeaux. The first wine is Chateau Joanine Bordeaux. It's pretty affordable between retail. It's a lot of Merlot, 90%, 10% Cabernet Franc, and I just think it's tremendous value for Bordeaux, right? This just delivers a really pure, kind of bright, typical, you know, open the dictionary to Bordeaux, this wine is in your mouth. Mm. And is this a right bank Bordeaux wine because it's mostly Merlot? Yes. Nice. Because the left bank is mostly Cabernet, the right bank is mostly Merlot most of the time, right? Yes, correct. (laughs) I think of it alphabetically, left to right, C comes before M, that's my mnemonic device. Wow, look at you. You can have that, listener. You can smell a little bit of that Cab Franc funk. The Merlot is what hit me first, though, because for me, Merlot is blueberries and cocoa powder, and that's both of these things in here. So this winery, there's a winery in Saint-Emilion called Chateau Pipo, and they also own Joanine, which is just outside of Saint-Emilion. So it is on the right bank, but it's uh, not in the great appellation of Saint-Emilion. And that's why it's between $10 and $15 and not above $25. And so that's an important note, too, because Saint-Emilion is an even more specific location more highly sought after grapes because they grow so well in that location, cost more money. This is just outside there. It might be Sunderland grass as opposed to Hadley grass or something along those lines. And you know, Sunderland makes good asparagus. Asparagus (laughs) Asparagus is the greatest thing to talk about locally when you're talking about terroir, right? (laughs) People around here get that. That's so good, it's so good. That's why NEPM holds the asparagus festival in Hadley. Not in Sunderland. Where would you hold it in Sunderland? Mike's Mays. Mike's Mays. Mike's Mays. Oh, yeah. We love Mike's Mays. This is, for a a very affordable under $2 wine, this is real good. I think it's real good. Under a Tubman. Well under. This is grippy. Could be a Super Bowl wine. Woo! Am I allowed to say Super Bowl? No, I think I am. I'm not allowed to. I'm allowed to talk about the Super Bowl, I'm not allowed to say that this is the official wine of the Super Bowl. <laughs> it's not. It's the su- official wine of the big game. <laughs> oh my goodness. Wow. It's, it is neither of those things. Wow. I'll tell you a story about that off the air. There were a lot of cutting motions. Well, <laughs> Annabelle's super message, litigious when it comes to that. A message to my friend Roger Goodell. This is not the official wine of the, su- know, the Superb like- Owl is still the best thing that I've ever heard. Stephen Colbert is the first one I heard that. The NFL is very aggressive in protecting their trademarks. I believe we can cover this story like nobody else simply by moving one consonant. So, ladies and gentlemen, it is time for my week-long coverage of Superb Owl. From it was sitting there all my life, Superb Owl. Come on, it's amazing. It is amazing. Yeah. Owls are not what they seem. The owls are not what they seem. I don't see why a nonprofit of such stature would be upset about these things, yeah, right. but... Okay. I love the, the list reason. of of grapes on the other one. There's a whole party this happening. This is an amazing uh, blend, right? Terre So this comes from an area near Toulouse. In this wine, they basically just blended stuff from a couple different outposts together, which is against the rules of almost every appellation. So that's why it carries the most basic appellation, Vin de France, which means French wine. (laughs) But what have they got to lose? Yeah, there's a look there, listeners. You heard it. Why didn't I see that coming? I mean, it's like disappointed in myself. It's It's like missing out on the superb owl. There's only so accustomed you can get to these things, I say, (laughs) after a year of this. Yeah. 
Eventually, you won't even hear it anymore. Just like my family. I love the nose on this. It's perfumey yeah. and mm. fun. And more sweet. It's candied, like a candied nose on this yeah. one as opposed to... But like, but like candy violet, like candy rosy sort of thing. So it is uh, Malbec, Syrah, Bracole, Grenache, Mauvedra, Negrette, and Carignan. Hmm. So a seven graper, and actually has like a black seven in the middle of the of the label, kind of indicating that it's seven grapes and also seven different expressions of terroir, which are named on the front label too. It's just such an interesting little wine for the exact same price. For some reason, there was a trend several years ago, that idea that red blends were bad, that blending wines are bad, is bad, that you should have single Do variety. Have apothic red to blame for this? It's called the apothic syndrome. Yeah. yeah. That wine is bad, but Bordeaux is famous for blending grapes and is one of the, if not the most highly sought after place for yeah. wines in the entire world. So yeah. blending wine grapes is an art that is good yes. and yeah. should not be scoffed at just because it's a blend. Right, I mean, there's so few regions of the world that actually don't blend grape varieties. Burgundy being the great exception. And frankly, if you're into grapes, like blends should be kind of where it's at. Like if you've acclimated yourself to what those grapes can do in expression, it's even more interesting to see what they do when they play with others. Yeah, and it's like if you're a painter and you have a palette, you're gonna wanna use as many colors as you want to accomplish the painting that you're trying to create. Imagine if Bob Ross only could use titanium white. Titanium white? What would his paintings look like then? And how would he ruin them the with a giant tree at the very end? The snowiest like, trees ever. <laughs> Like, today we're painting a blizzard, happy little blizzard. <laughs> How about some more snowflakes in this yeah. corner? Guess, guess what, that's what you're getting. Titanium white, magic white, a white cloud here, and a little white. Chocolate, huh? Yeah, this one, is, the first one was cocoa, like dry cocoa, Nestle cocoa Quick, butter, yeah, yeah. like you'd put in your chocolate milk after coming home from high school every day and eating an entire bag of Lay's potato chips. And this one is more like chocolate, like you might get or give somebody Sir. this coming Wednesday. Probably great for Valentine's Day, both of these, I will say, if that's your bag. And what I think is, is fascinating about these wines is it's so easy to kind of think like, oh, the, the Joanine, the Bordeaux is, is very French in style, right? It's dry, it's French, right? It's, it's, it's sort of narrow French. and sort of, you know, has very well-defined lines to it. And then to think like, oh, if you want a wine that's like fruity and juicy, you gotta go to Argentina. Here's a French one, and it's only two and a half hours down the road from where this guy comes from, and they're pretty darn fruity and easy to drink. Yeah. yeah. And not overwhelmingly so, like it's not jammy, it's fruity, oh, yeah. but it's still got really good structure and like tiny little bit of acid happening. It's just real nice. Yeah. Both in the same price range, both from yeah, France. chocolate thing. Both reds. <laughs> In case you want to try the back other to number yeah. one. It's always good to go back. Smells, the Bordeaux smells earthier the second pass. Yeah, more of the mushrooms coming out of this one for sure mm. now. Mm. Coffee too. It's not just earth, right? It's like um, compost. Yes. Uh, not in a bad way. No. Not rotting. No. Like, I mean, it what? is rotting grapes that make wine happen. So. Well, yes. But I think a lot about uh, in the fall when you're walking, like if you were leaving my house and going behind my house and walking to Fitzgerald Lake, and the leaves are dry, that crunchy leaf smell, you know, mm. like you get that in yeah. Pinot Noir a lot. We're not there, we're further along in the cycle with this wine, but. Yeah. It is time to vote, time to vote. in our wine Thunderdome, our pre-Valentine slash pre-Superb Owl wine Thunderdome. If you're hoping to turn either of those into an occasion for imbibing, we've got two wines from France, one from Bordeaux proper, just outside the appellation of Saint-Emilion, the Jaunine, which is mostly Merlot, and then a seven grape Terre Matisse from, what do you got to lose? Seven grapes <laughs> all together. Who wants to take the first vote 
on this wine Thunderdome? I'm going to vote for the Terramettisse. It's really, I just think the wine is so delicious. This is one of those wine Thunderdomes where you're like, you could close your eyes, pick up a glass, you're going to be just fine. Yeah. I like that wine just a little bit better. All right. Do you want to go next? Yeah. I believe in the melting pot. Terramettisse. A Metis, like a Metisse. I can, I don't French. Me I, I don't French. I don't Chinese. I've done a lot of bad languages this week. I <laughs> promise I'm good at some of them. The blend of terroir and the, the qualities of these grapes make this a much easier drink. Well, much like a voter in Massachusetts, my vote no longer matters. Um, but if, I, if it did matter, I would be voting against you for the Bordeaux, the Chateau Jonin, because I like wine that is slightly more punishing, a little bit more reserved and austere. Yeah, that's the Catholic in you. Yeah. <laughs> I deserve a wine like this, I think. Which isn't to say that this wine is painful. We are not it's saying not that. But, it's it's not, but it is a little bit more structured, and the structure is pretty firm. So yeah. if you're looking for something yeah. that's a little easier on the palate. So let me tell you about Terramettisse, because I'm really proud of this. Our staff has completely embraced this wine, and it's actually the number one selling wine at table and vine. It arrived to us on January 12th. It had been out of stock for some time. Between January 12th and whatever today is, February, whatever, it's the number one selling wine here. Outselling some very, very famous wines. Even ones that we might have trashed a little bit earlier? Uh, perhaps. We're just so proud of this, the effort that the staff has put into this wine because we all taste it and we're like, oh my goodness, like every customer should taste this wine. Yeah. So we put it in a prominent location and every customer just like, hey, you have to try this, you have to try this. And that's why it's good to trust your wine connoisseur at a wine shop. Ask questions. They're experts at this. They've tasted a lot of these wines a lot of the time. They can steer you in the right direction. Don't go by the big ad brands that you see all over the place. Broaden your horizons. Broaden your horizons. Broaden your horizons. And know what your palate is telling you, because like Monty's wants it to be more austere, but we want a little bit of dancing. So like if you can talk about the things that you like, it always helps. Quick addendum. We may casually have mentioned a possible Muppet Twin Peaks at the beginning of this segment, but there actually is a Muppet Twin Peaks, it turns out. It's a segment from Sesame Street's Monsterpiece Theater is called Twin Beaks and features Cookie Monsters in the Kyle McLaughlin role. Thanks, YouTube, for helping us figure that out. Coming up, it's Live Music Friday here in the fabulous 413, and we'll welcome Sean Rao to the studio as he gets ready to get on stage at the Parlor Room tonight. You're listening to the fabulous 413 on 88.5 NEPM. Welcome back to the Fabulous 413. I'm Khalees Smith. And I'm Monty Belmonte. Sean Rao is a singer-songwriter, musician, recording artist, and forager. The Wall Street Journal proclaimed, quote, Mr. Rao's ringing baritone is as timeless as his approach, recalling the ecstasy, intensity of late 60s Van Morrison and stark subtlety of late era Johnny Cash. His latest release is The Darkness Dressed in Colored Lights, an avid naturalist and renowned forager. Rao often speaks of his fascination with the woods and his connection to the land, to the point of creating an online series where he takes other musicians out to the woods to show them the bounty that is there. More on that shortly. Because first, it's Live Music Friday and we should hear a, a song. Welcome Sean Rao. Hey, thanks for having me. Oh. Yeah. We're we wish so you were with us with the wine tasting segment because we know you like smelling and talking about weird things, but we'll get we'll get to that. Yeah, in a I don't care bit. what it is. Uh, <laughs> that's just my default. <laughs> I 
she cooks for me she finds the heart way down in my belly sweeter than a maple tree and all my neck hairs wake up to tell me that now it's time to work the ground naked seeds will mess around and if they're true they'll make it to the vine i kiss your face oh mommy taste love is walking through a bowly forest where oaks and pine cool down the space where the earth makes a blanket of moss just for us and now it's time to work the ground Naked seeds will mess around And if they're true, they make it to the vine Now there might be something beneath it all But I leave it to the great unknown There's nothing in the brew that it needs at all I'm happy just to leave it alone Warm me up, my Eskimo in your 40-pound coat. You look good in the snow. Let's ride it out till the wheels let go. May our nights be long, may the days be slow. And now it's time to work the ground. Naked seeds will mess around. And if they're true, they'll make it to the Beautiful. Sean Rao, this live music Friday here on Fabulous 413, playing at the Parlor Room in Northampton tonight. You play a lot of house shows. I do. Uh, what is the appeal of playing house shows as opposed to playing in, like, larger venues? Well, by the nature of them, they are quite intimate. And I do like that. I think the kind of music I play and the sort of, like, you know, the goal of connection with with folks, you know, in the songs that I write, it just lends itself very well to that kind of environment where you are, whether you like it or not, you're you're up close and personal with people. <laughs> um, so yeah, I started doing that in 2014 and then just did them all over the country. Started becoming a thing. Is so. there a house show circuit or how does one there is, find but a house to go yeah, play Yeah, it's, it's sort of confusing to some people that see, they, they might see something posted like I'm playing in you know, Lakewood, California or something and they're like, oh, I live near there, I wanna go. But it's it's the way that I usually do it is it's fans of mine mm-hmm. that hire me to come and play for their friends or family, whoever they want to invite. Yeah. They're typically not open to the general public, although some of them are. Some of them are like legitimate house venues. Uh-huh. Um, I mean, I wouldn't want people coming and use my bathroom. But <laughs> me either. Some people are yeah. down with that. What if somebody booked a house show at my house and didn't even tell me about it? And then I show up and I'm like, oh, yeah. what are all these people doing you know, here? Yeah. It's, it's like. However, at the same time, if you're a big fan of Sean Rao, who wants a cameo video? When you can have the actual Sean Rao come and play well, at your house, you know, for some people it's 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 fun, and apparently, I do well with 
Yeah, pets seem to enjoy my music. Too. <laughs> <laughs> That's an endorsement if ever I yeah, heard one. Yeah, you can tell a lot about people by the way animals treat them. Yeah. yeah. Uh, your guitar is remarkably devoid of duct tape right now. Oh, because this is this is my sort of uh, not my stage guitar because my the one I use on stage the sound hole is covered up. It's completely modified. It, the, <laughs> you can't buy it anywhere. It's just completely messed with. So this one isn't even mine. It's my engineer's guitar, but I like this model. This was like my original model of uh, Takamine guitar. Um, but this is one, if I used the, you know, an unplugged guitar, my, my stage one, you wouldn't barely hear it because it's the sound hose plugged up. So. Fair enough. <laughs> For those who don't know a lot about guitars, why, why is that a, a choice that you've made with that stage guitar? Um, it was sort of a, a happy medium between trying to find the sound in my head and manifesting that on the guitar because I wanted something that was both an electrified sound but also an, has an acoustic feel to it. Mm-hmm. So, so I started experimenting and using electric pickups, which do not come in these <laughs> guitars. You know, Not right. easily, no. <laughs> and I changed my strings to electric, actually, but they're huge. They're like super, super thick electric strings. Um, like what gauge? Now I'm just curious. I use 12 flat wounds. Whoa, okay. And, and it's sort of like, it, it's in the ballpark of regular acoustic size strings. Yeah. You know, um, but they're flat wounds too. So they have a nice know, roundness. Yeah, to yeah, them. yeah. Kind of a softer tone to them. Do so, those not hurt your fingers as much too? Is that true? Um, well, you don't get the, you don't get the, you don't oh, the get the slidey thing? sounds. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. But if you see uh, Sean's regular guitar, it looks like a Mondrian painting. A Mondrian, I, again, yeah, I'm not a French said, this Yeah, yeah, week. yeah. So I, I've gotten that before, and I was, I was like, thank you for the compliment. Yeah. Um, because I, you're using different color duct tape, yeah. not just the standard gray. No, no. I, yeah. I had a spark of an idea that turned into kind of a monster one day many years ago. <laughs> I was just trying to cover up a little hole on the guitar, and then I just put one piece of tape on it, and it was gray tape. And I was like, oh, this looks stupid. You know, let me... <laughs> Let me dress this up a little bit. So I went to the store and I got multiple. (laughs) 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 Yep. And then it just became something I did. And now it's just like super, super pretty. I love it. We're speaking with Sean Rao. It's Live Music Friday. He's playing at the Parlor Room in Northampton tonight. We have alluded to the fact that you are a forager. Yes. So I think what we'll do is take a quick little break right here. And we'll come back and talk to you a little bit about foraging and hear another song for this Live Music Friday. Great. So coming up, more with Sean Rao playing the Parlor Room in Northampton tonight. You're listening to The Fabulous 413 on NEPM. Welcome back to The Fabulous 413. It is Live Music Friday, and we are here with Sean Rao, who will play at the Parlor Room in Northampton tonight. Let's hear another one from Sean Rao. All right, this is a great song by Mr. Tom Waits. Ah, yes! They hung a sign up in our town If you live it up, you won't live it down So she left Malorio's son just like a bullet leaves a gun Where the charcoal eyes and Monroe hips She went and took that California trip 
Well, the moon was gold in her hair like wind She said, don't look back, just come on, Jim Oh, you got to hold on, hold on Yeah, you got to hold on Taking my hand, standing right there, you got to hold on So we bought her a dime store watch Oh, and a ring made from a spoon Everybody's looking for someone to blame When you share my bed, you share my name So go ahead and call the cops You don't need nice girls in coffee shops She said, hey, baby, I still love you But sometimes there's nothing left to do Oh, you got to hold on, hold on Yeah, you got to hold on Taking my hand, standing right there You got to hold on God bless your crooked little heart St. Louis got the best of me I miss your broken shine of voice When I wish you were still here with me Oh, you build it up to break it down And you burn your mansion to the ground Well, there's nothing left to keep you here And I'm falling behind, there's a big blue world Oh, you got to hold on, hold on Yeah, you got to hold on Taking my hand, standing right there, you got to hold Down at the Riverside Motel It's ten below and falling By a 99 cent store She closed her eyes and started swaying Oh, but it's so hard to dance that way When it's cold and there's no music When your old hometown so far away Inside your head there's a record playing A song called Hold On, Hold On Yeah, you got to hold on Taking my hand, standing right there You got to hold on Hold on, hold on Yeah, you got to hold on Taking my hand, standing right there, you got to hold on. Your voice is like a warm hug. I know. <laughs> Thank you. And that's such Appreciate a great it. cover. Oh, my word. That is Sean Rao covering Tom Waits here on Live uh, Music Friday. He is playing at the Parlor Room in Northampton tonight. But will he take a detour into the woods of 91, off of 91, to see what he can eat? Well... Hang on one second. 
Play the clip. Think about <laughs> wet dog and then smell. Go ahead, smell. Wet dog. Yep. A little bit of wet dog, right? Are you trying to get people no, interested in this I bear? Know, I know. This is the most poisonous plant in North America. No way. Why are we here? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if there's any truth to this, that the unripe ones are hallucinogenic in some capacity. But hey, maybe it's just a gentle microdose. I love that there's a theme song. Can I Eat This is the name of Sean Rao's YouTube show about foraging. In each episode, Rao is joined by a different musical guest with whom he ventures out into the woods surrounding the grounds of Autocamp's Catskills Resort where wild food abounds. And in addition to finding, harvesting, and preparing their haul, Rao and his guests record a song together. Your first episode was with Taylor Ashton, who's no stranger to uh, this Western Mass, comes plays here all yeah. the time, is married to Rachel Price of Lake Street Dive. Uh, is Taylor, was Taylor a natural foraging like like you seem to be? He was just uh, generous with his time. Uh, <laughs> 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 uh, no, he was so, it was so entertaining to, uh, to take him out there. I love the premise of especially going out with somebody who's not quite used to experiencing nature like that yeah, from yeah. that angle. Uh, he was a great first guest, and uh, we just had a lot of fun. And that was the first time I actually physically met him, too. So. Oh, cool. Yeah, he's a great singer-songwriter yeah. as well. Mm-hmm. So you were into nature before you took Tom Brown's classes, and I only realized late that you took Tom Brown's classes, like to the point where you took the solo classes. And I'm not sure if everybody realizes you have to go through like all these other tiers to get to the solo stuff. Tom Brown is like a tracker. He's like a, an outdoor ninja. In, in the yeah, Pine Barrens. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm, surpri- I'm actually surprised he's not on like some cult show. Like, <laughs> right? Uh, you know, yeah, like, like a prepper. Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, he's, he's just such a personality. I mean, oh, I learned yeah. a, a lot of valuable things from uh, yeah getting into it when I was a kid, but but uh, he's a character. Yeah. Yes. I learned from uh, a couple of friends of mine who also took classes, but only took the basic class. They didn't they didn't get real far yeah. up into it. Yep. Um, how much, I mean, like, clearly some of that is coming into to Can I Eat This and the classes that you teach. Like, people can go one-on-one with you. They can request yeah. to go out in the woods and find out what to eat. Yeah. Which yeah, is cool. yeah, yeah, yeah. Just uh, I'll I'll give you this. Story. This might not be funny to anybody, except <laughs> yeah, that's what people we who love Sean Rouse. people who um, <laughs> who uh, took Tom Brown classes. But I am somewhere on the internet for doing his voice because apparently I have the best uh, 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 rendition of his his voice that anybody. He's sort of like in the realm of Jack Nicholson a little bit. Okay, his yep. own thing. One of the things he, this is verbatim what he said to our class is one of the first things he said. And I was reading his books like I thought he was like some magical guru thing, you know, (laughs) really soft spoken. But instead, this is what I got. And he's from the Pine Barrens, you know. So he's like, (laughs) first of all, he's a chain smoker too. (laughs) He's He's like, anywhere from, there's anywhere from 10 to 12 hungry wild dogs in the Pine Barrens that don't give a damn if you're human or animal. They don't even care if you carry a shotgun. Oh, they'll get you. Oh, yeah. Scared the hell out of us. We, like, what? This dude? 
I didn't know this was going to be. That is actually like spot on. So yeah, my, pretty, my pretty partner close. who took the classes recorded some of uh-huh. the, the yeah. lectures that he would give. You sound exactly yeah, like it, him. It, it, so much so that the staff, one time when he was away for a class, the staff hired me to come in and do like a fake class. <laughs> And people were freaking. They had no idea what the hell was going on. But we, we should call Tom Brown's naturalist school and then have you pretend yeah, to be Tom Brown. Yeah. Like, give everybody next week golf or something like that. It probably would work. Yeah. But yes, I, I do like one-on-one classes. I do group classes to uh, workshops, just taking people out and showing them, you know, keeping it keeping them entertained, but also hopefully showing them something. So if you really love Sean Rao. You could yeah, you book really you for a, a house concert yeah. and also to go back into the backyard foraging. Yeah. What What's the first thing that you can forage? I also design rockets, too. Okay, cool. <laughs> <laughs> could be a great, could be a great couple Darn of, it, great Sean weekend Rose, with Sean Rowe. Stop Rao. being so yeah. perfect. I know, right? <laughs> Multifaceted <laughs> artist. <laughs> what's What's like the first round of things that we can look forward to foraging? Or is there stuff what, to forage now in February? Yeah, yeah. Well, well, now there's still stuff to find, but... Especially with the global warming, I mean, and sometimes you know, you, there's not a, even snow around here at this time when it should be, and you can like dig stuff up. But um, for the most part, a lot of what I do in the wintertime, as I'm in the Northeast, is I would would have gathered things from uh-huh. the fall, and I would have stored them, and I'll be processing them in the kitchen. So right now I'm working with acorns, I'm working with black walnuts, hickory nuts, mm. um, butternuts. These are all things that are found around me. Most people don't even know that you can eat them, but they're yeah. not only edible, but they're fantastic. That's amazing. Hickory flower is fun to work with. My kids have done a lot of that outdoor nature stuff, so that will be in the woods in the wintertime. They're like, yeah. this is wintergreen, Dad. You can eat it. And I'm like, you're going to die. Like, no, trust me. <laughs> yeah. You're not. I mean, you got to yeah, you gotta know what you're doing. But yes. Sean Rao, uh, it has been a delight talking to you Thank about you. smelling weird things in the woods, hearing you uh, impersonate one of the most acclaimed naturalists, and playing Tom Waits music and your own music. You Thank can catch... You. Sean Rao at the Parlor Room in Northampton this evening. Thanks again. Thank you. (laughs) Next week on The Fabulous 413, you may have Valentine's on the mind, but we're going to focus on Mardi Gras. We'll talk with Kristen Neville from Blues to Green about the transformative power of music, the legacy of her legendary late husband, Charles Neville, and how a little bit of the Big Easy will make its way to White Lion in Springfield on Fat Tuesday. Laissez le bon temps rouler. We'll also talk to a pharmacist. (laughs) No, Ted Leo from the band Ted Leo and the Pharmacists. Oh. Ted is playing at the Drake in Amherst on the 16th, and he'll talk to us next week. I'm Monty Belmonte. I'm Khalees Smith. We'll see you next week. And you should go see Sean Rao tonight. He's going to rock. <laughs>